This is TechWave, a Gartner IT podcast. Previously, talking technology. My name's Wood Andrews. I've been with Gartner for 20 years, and this is our first, our very first live recording of Gartner TechWave, a podcast for IT leaders. Today, the feature type that we're doing is what we call Prediction Playground. So in Prediction Playground, I bring three colleagues who've authored particularly valuable predictions, and they present all these predictions. We imagine a world where those predictions all take shape together. And then we try to figure out, what should we do about that? So now that we're living in, in the future firmly, because that's what Gardner analysts do all the time, what is the letter we would write back to you, the audience, from that future space? So this gives us a chance to really uh, make that take shape for you. Um, my colleagues that, uh, that are with me today are Mark Beyer, Eric Brethenu, and Frank Boytendijk. And I'm going to start again with our three predictions, creating a world. And I'm going to also keep an eye on the question and answer panel. We've never tried to fit this into just 30 minutes before with so much stringency on it. So if I don't get to your question, please accept my apology. We're new to this opportunity to do this live. And so we're learning as we go. Okay, Mark Beyer, introduce yourself, tell us your prediction and tell us a little bit about what that means the world is gonna look like when that prediction comes true. Cause we know it'll come true. First of all, my name is Mark Beyer. I've been with Gartner. I'm in, I believe my 18th year now. Um, and what I cover and what I really love is I'm a data and metadata nut. That's, I mean, that, that's, that, that's the origin story for me. And um, we love you for it, Mark, to be very clear. <laughs> it's, it's my favorite topic, of course. Um, so we've got this prediction that says by 2024, that utilizing this concept called active metadata to enrich and build a dynamic data fabric, okay. we're gonna be able to actually increase and, and reduce the time to doing integrated data delivery by 50% and improve the productivity of your data teams by 20%. Now, that's a pretty, actually conservative estimate, improving productivity just 20%. So first of all, that lets the data folks brag a little bit. Hey, we've been doing a pretty good job. <laughs> so I like, I, I like the idea that the data guys can finally say, hey, we've been doing a pretty good job. We can only increase by 20% what we're doing. In and of itself, honestly, that's an awesome prediction. People on data teams are getting to brag. And I think that I'm hearing with your productivity estimate that they're doing six projects where they only used to do five, or maybe they're doing slightly more complex projects or something like that. And, and, and keep going, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's certainly the 20% part. Now, the, the other percent of the part, the other percentage is that 50% increase in integrated data delivery. So I, I think one of the things that everybody sort of gets confused on is what the heck is this data fabric thing? Yeah. And, and so, I'm in their number. Thank you. Please tell us what this data fabric thing is. So a data fabric is where you pin a whole number of little labels to your chest um, and you wait and I'm, you don't weave them into a fabric that way. So a, a data fabric assumes that data was captured for a reason related to a business a purpose and it has therefore some intrinsic compatibility with a similar set of data captured somewhere else. Uh, and it says, if I know who you are, and I know what your business process is, 
there are certain data components that even if I capture them in a different language or different format or different structure, they're the same thing. Yeah. So okay. I can, so, that, so that's a fabric, I can bring them together. So that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the big model for the data fabric. And the other big thing is active metadata management. So uh, we all know metadata, we all love metadata. Um, my former colleague uh, in this space, he still works at Gardner, used to coin his little corny dad joke, I never metadata I didn't like. Oh my God. So, okay. <laughs> so you have to put the corny joke in there or else metadata is bored. So if you think of all the metadata we're used to, it's descriptive, it's uh, design, it is a runtime statistic. We call that passive metadata. If I analyze that, I can start to figure out who's using what data when, mm -hmm. how often they're using it, mm -hmm. where they got it, how often it's updated there, mm -hmm. put it together and almost build a, a community network around the data. And then mm -hmm. at that point, it doesn't matter if it's in one location or many, because I can figure out a way technically Mm -hmm. Should I move it or not? Should I leave it where it is or not? Mm -hmm. And I can respond to things like regulatory requirements. So active metadata says, tell me what's really happening with the data mm -hmm. and then build my data fabric to run that way. Okay, so now I've got a, I've, I've got a future that's, that's got a pretty great uh, initial uh, pillar put in place. And Eric, I'm about to come to you in about 30 seconds. So I've got a world where we're doing more projects, we're doing more sophisticated projects. And one of the reasons that that's happening is because I have this, um, uh, uh, the word is overused and yet still I think appropriate here. I have this holistic, I have this multidimensional view of my data and understanding of my data where I, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of living in a data fabric in a way that that is that is more expanded and more rich than it is today. So that's my beginning. Eric Brethenu, give us your prediction and, and fit it into this, right? So we're doing more projects. We live in this world of data. Tell us how your prediction matures our understanding of the future. Go ahead. Sure, thank you. So my name is Eric Brathenu, like you rightly pronounced, which is actually quite amazing yeah, that seems people you. do that these days. Uh, I lead the AI, the artificial intelligence agenda at Gartner, and AI is my world, like the data is the world for, for Mark. Um, the prediction goes this way. By 2023, 30% of organizations will harness the collective intelligence of the analytics communities Mm -hmm. outperforming their competitors that rely solely on centralized analytics or self-service. Okay, and just so you know, that 30%, those 30% of organizations, they're, they're better at this stuff than everybody else is. And so that means everybody listening to this podcast is in that 30% because they're so smart, they came to the conference this morning <laughs> even before the keynote. So we know that they're all in this rarefied air of people who are really, really good. Uh, thank you for, for tolerating my interruption, Eric. Go ahead and tell us how this prediction will intersect with Marx to create a, a more effective, more efficient, richer world. Go ahead. Sure. So 30%, uh, by the way, is kind of uh, optimistic, right? So, so okay. it could be that a lot of the people here that are with us today, hopefully uh, they belong to that community as well. 
Now it says that uh, so for for that to happen, we're going to have to move from an event-based thinking. Something happened. I capture the data. I do something to an agent-based thinking. What matters is who captures the data, for what reason, for whom, and how they're going to apply it. Right. So you okay. move that thing. Now, in order for that to be true, also and be able to enable that decentralized thinking. You mm -hmm. need to be able to rely on the data fabric. You need to rely on what Mark just described. You need to make that data, like you said, with holistic. You need to make that available for everybody so that people can tap into that resource in, in, in a very uh, real-time manner. In addition to that, Mark describes something that's very important, which is the dynamic nature of that data fabric, right? So the ability of the fabric to also, uh, like, e generate new data, new connections. Well, if the collective thinking, that collectiveness we're describing here can work, you need that to happen. You need to enable that in the background. Otherwise, you just think siloed. The thinking has to be collective and then mm -hmm. the technology has to help in order for that to happen. So that, that's a big shift in thinking, in culture, but it can only happen if the data fabric architecture that Mark described and its dynamic nature is put in place as well. Otherwise, it is not, it's not gonna be possible. Okay, so we've got our first question that's come into the Q&A panel and I'm gonna try to fit it in and, and, and stay on schedule. Eric, what can you tell us about these 30%, this, this optimistic 30%, what can you tell us about these organizations? What have they done that will elevate them to this, to this level of mastery that you're describing? What are the things that, that the factors that make them so good at what they do that they're able to seize this opportunity? Do you feel comfortable answering that? Sure. So I, I'll give uh, I get two aspects of that. First, they have gone through a data literacy program. Mm -hmm. People need to be able to understand collectively what they've been doing, what the data can do for them, and how enabling it is to 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 be able to do that. Right. That data literacy induces the second point, which is um, we we did a survey last year uh, on decision making uh, with George Franklin. We'll come back to that shows that a lot of organizations essentially use their data to justify the decision mm -hmm. they made, not mm -hmm. to actually originally uh, base the sure. that decision on the data that they are using. So that second part of the literacy is important. So the organizations that have been able to foster that culture are yeah. the ones that are part of those 30%. To be able to say, you start with that, doesn't mean that the data is the only thing you look at, because the, remember, the collective part of the prediction talks that I need to be able to get into the data and the thinking of my colleagues, my peers, my customers, my partners, mm -hmm. and so on, to be able to answer that. So a, a organization that is in the 30% had those two attributes that are very important for their culture. Okay, it was very helpful, and 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 so I appreciate your your laying that out for us. Okay, now we have a world where the data is, um, it, where the the teams are more efficient. They're getting more done. They dwell in a, in a data fabric, which uh, gives them a sort of constant knowledge and awareness of what they're doing. Eric's describing a world in which they're better capable of shedding the fallacies, uh, the the thinking fallacies that uh, that drag us into making the wrong decisions, they're maybe even demonstrating the level of data literacy that's allowing them to make decisions. Um, it's allowing to make them originate their decisions within the data instead of originating their analysis of the data in their own emotional perspectives. So we have really an extraordinary team at this 30% of organizations um, and everyone listening to this podcast is derived from that 30% because they're all smart enough to have joined us this morning. Um, Frank, 
uh, tell us your predict, or excuse me, introduce yourself, bring your prediction, and then let's fit it into this extraordinary utopic vision of uh, what data and analytics looks like in the future. Go ahead, Frank. So a utopia, that is my world. Thank you so much. I know you love a utopia. I gave it to you because you're such a <laughs> philosopher. Go ahead. So uh, my name is Frank Pouterbeck. I've been with Gartner, like the others since like forever. And uh, I cover mostly data analytics strategy, but also digital ethics and digital society. And the prediction here uh, actually builds on what we've heard from Mark and what we've heard from Eric. Um, Mark was talking about active metadata, and Eric was talking about the collective intelligence, and that those two things pretty much prepare us for for better decision making, if you will. So here's the prediction: by 2023, more than 33 percent of large organizations will have analysts practicing decision intelligence, including decision modeling, and understanding where that comes from, um, and then where that goes into the future. Maybe we need to start with the past a little bit. So. Um, for those of you who've been around, our field data analytics used to be called something different. In the beginning, it used to be called decision support. And we used to build decision support systems. Right. But if you think about it, it was never decision support. It was data support. Mm -hmm. We would hand the right data to the people, and then they could make better decisions or something. But it wasn't really our field. We got really good at it. Mm -hmm. data support, um, with all the, the volumes of the data and the variety and the, the velocity and the complexity of the data, we kept up with it, but it wasn't decision support. And we think that the future of data analytics really is, is, is expanding into that original promise of decision support. And that with active metadata and with the more collective intelligence, we can actually re-engineer decision making. So. Data and analytics people, specialists, professionals need to start understanding how decision processes work, in which mm -hmm. phases they go through, in which phase, what data, what analytics is needed, and then actively contribute it. They need to build an understanding of how people actually take decisions. So more from a psychological and a sociological side. There's also a political side to it. Basically understand how does that thing called decision work? And there's actually um an emerging role here. We've seen this in just a very few organizations, but we think it's the beginning, beginning of a trend, a new phase for, for DNA. And that was the role of the decision engineer. The decision mm -hmm. engineer is the person that, um, that helps out, moderates this, those decision-making processes. And, um, and I think essentially that's good news because for data and analytics, it makes it a discipline that is even more essential to an organization. If you think about it, what, what is the core competence for every management team that is to be to be effective decision makers? And as a DNA professional, we get the opportunities the next years to 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 nest ourselves in, into that core capability of an of an organization. I, I think that's the background to the prediction. That does it make sense? It does make sense, and and I'm sorry, I, I spoke over somebody. Somebody else, go ahead. Was that was that you, Eric? I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm -mm. Okay, good. So, all right, I, I, I'm glad because I have another question that popped in right when you described it, Frank. So, you, yeah, sure. you set it up, you're saying there's a decision support engineer, that person's going to be part of our future. What does the, the questioner says, what do I have to do to get a chance to be a decision support engineer, right? So, where do I, what, where would you expect that person to come from? What would you expect that person to have to commit to in order to be able to make you know they're they're going to bring this they're going to bring this prediction set 
to their manager. They're going to say, look, we need decision support engineers in order to exploit the data fabric that we've taken advantage of in order to have a leader for our collective intelligence and our collective and analytical approach. So what is that person going to need to be able to do to say, and I'm just the person to lead that effort. So whether that person is, is you know, no matter who they are, what would yeah. you tell them to do over the next three years as your prediction begins to ripen? What should they do over the next three years to become that person, that exceptional leader within their organization who's able to realize this value, Frank? What should they do? So uh, Mark introduced himself as the data nerd. And, he is. Uh, and, and, and I think that is, um, that is something to be proud of. That's like a better former. Um, he introduced himself that way because if he hadn't introduced himself that way, we'd have stepped up and labeled him data nerd without any shame whatsoever. Okay, so I'm sorry, Frank, go on. Yes. And I think that that is a great start, uh, as being the data nerd and knowing more about the data <laughs> than anybody else. But it's a start. I, th I think what we need to do is built on our foundation of nerdness, nerdity, what is the, what, what would be the exact term? I don't know, nerdness. Nerdaliciousness. Nerd if someone nerd is nerdalicious, then they, they have nerdaliciousness. Okay, we, go ahead. So built on our, being on a foundation of nerdaliciousness, but, uh, and, and on top of that, um, um, also built the, busy, the, the business savviness. Um, right, right. Uh, we should not be seen as the people who just create reports and who create dashboards and who create the data science analytics and then deliver that as some kind of an internal service provider. Um, right. The data analytics function really needs to be seen as a set of essential capabilities, as there's other essential capabilities in the business to come towards customer value and to run a successful business. So we need to be, we need to grow up um, and, and like T-shapes, like in, in our nerd deliciousness at the bottom, grow up and then basically build, uh, build our, our business profile on, uh, on top of that. And, in that process of decision making, be yep, the yep. equal decision peer that moderates that process and infuses the right data and the right analytics, moving that process for, forward and being accepted as the as the, the authority um, on um, on that particular part of running the business. Okay, so excellent. I, I, I've I've got a uh, I, I'm seeing a couple of questions pop up here with it. Actually, built right on something Frank said, and then connect back to the full circle. Fantastic. Um, so one of the things I get asked frequently, and it's now popped up in our questions as well, is, is okay, if I get the understanding of active metadata, don't I still need the good old passive metadata? And, and, and then the other question that comes in there is, uh, how do I turn these predictions into like a go forward? You know, I'm, I'm someplace right now. So I'm sure. going to try to keep this really support, and okay. I'm sure we'll get more questions out of it. When I'm talking about active metadata, I'm not just talking about this streaming in analysis that comes from the current descriptors. Mm -hmm. At its core, data is just math. Data isn't real. Data is like money, it's not real. So right. if, you, if you think about data as being just math, bits make bytes, bytes make attributes. Clusters mm -hmm. of them have content. That mm -hmm. content forms into groups. I can figure that out. I don't know mm -hmm. what the attribute's name is, but mm -hmm. it'll, it'll show up in my map. Attributes cluster and form entities, and when entities collide into each other, that is the mathematical definition of an event. Mm -hmm. now, I don't have any names on any of that. Mm -hmm. And if I ignore my passive metadata, all I have is this big math problem in front of me. 
Right. So now I put the two together. I can align the content through the passive metadata to the users, and I can say, wow, I look at this math and I see a brand new set of values have appeared in this attribute. Is it the same attribute? Maybe it's a different piece of data. It just got stuck in that column or stuck right. in that tag. I can find most of that mathematically, but eventually my humans have to help the machine. Because, go ahead. That makes sense. I just wanted to point out to Frank that I think Mark Beyer has just indicated that he believes there is such a thing as meaning. And, you know, that's, you know, in and of itself, I think that's a bit problematic. But okay. And Mark, I'm going to ask you to finish up and then I'm going to ask for an analyst volunteer. It might be you to write the first paragraph of the three, le the three paragraph letter. We're all going to write from this future state back to this audience that is stuck in the present because they are not, in fact, metadata. They're just people. And so they're here. Uh, although I, I, I can argue that people are metadata, but let's not go down that road too much. So, Mark, go ahead and finish up and then we'll get our volunteer for the first paragraph, which might be you. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I think finishing up is the first paragraph. So if you think about the idea that you still have the good old passive metadata and the good old active metadata, you yeah. have to put those two together. And what I would say is this for the, the message from the future back to the present. Dear audience, go. Our dear audience, remember that everything we've learned in the past about data is still relevant. You're mm -hmm. building on top of that picture. Mm -hmm. And therefore, as you start to learn more about the machine learning and how it can do tasks faster than you, it mm -hmm. cannot create a new task. And your job is to teach it when mm -hmm. you scream for help. That's, that's maybe that's one of the best paragraphs I've heard about artificial intelligence practices in the six or seven years I've been associated with our AI coverage at Gartner. So I really appreciate that. Second paragraph, Frank or Eric, go. All right, I'll start. Um, stop thinking just process. Stop thinking just data. Think sapiens. We are able to bring also to that idea, just not just the technology, but the combination of both. It's the sapiens machine combination that matters. And and AI is not artificial intelligence, it's augmented intelligence. Trust a Frenchman to bring the word sapience into a, a letter to, to a perfectly unsuspecting virtuous audience. Okay, that's a that's a remarkable uh, that's a remarkable assertion and I and I think it's an extraordinary one to bring. Eric, I know I interrupted you. Are you done that paragraph or do you want to add anything else to it? Nope, I'm done. Woof. Okay, mic drop. He's done. Uh, Frank, what's the third paragraph? And I get a postscript. Okay, go ahead, Frank. Third paragraph. So I expected actually Eric to talk about the podium, given the the statue that you have behind you. I'm not sure if that is Nicola, um, but this is two hundredth birthday. Um, but anyway, the um, um, my story from the future is um, it's okay. It's all worth it. Um, it's, all it's, worth it. it's all worth it. It's going to be a bumpy ride, though. Right now, we're in decision-making processes that are often not very data-driven. The, if there is data, it's cherry-picking. We've offered this ignored. There's inter in intuition involved. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It's going to be like all the other way. There's going to be it's going to be overly governed. Decision-making processes are going to be overly transparent. 
there's going to be overly automated attempts to automate everything. Mm. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be seen as a very mechanistic thing that we can optimize. And if you don't, then heads will roll and, and, and then people will shout and complain, etc. But after this thesis, the antithesis is needed to come to the synthesis. And that is that we start to learn how to use data in the decision making processes as one of the factors how to come to a successful, effective, and efficient decision making process. It is it is a co-production of a lot of things, including intuition and including experience, and including a good grip on the data and analytics that will help us get there. But the, sh the shift to the other side, the trouble is needed in order for us to get to a reasonable middle and make this effective. It will be worth it. Mm. Okay, that's wonderful. So we've, we've got an extraordinary letter that we're sending to you here in the audience from this place in the future where we've actually all hauled ourselves sort of up onto the shale. Um, and, and we're living in this in this space. Remember, this is a world where the data fabric is real. We are behaving in a more efficient fashion. We are accomplishing more. We are harnessing our collective knowledge because we've developed an effective data literacy program. And I think what Frank has said there at the end is going to lead to my postscript. Because what Frank is talking about is stick to your humanity, I think. Um, don't forget your, your humanity. Don't feel that it's something that you need to shed. Um, signed us. And then the postscript for me is this. Um, this is an extraordinary era that we live in because for many of us, uh, the, the, the idea that data-driven analysis, that data-originating decision proposals or decision-making, um, the, the idea that that would be powerful in organizations is, 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 is novel. Um, and it's something that's long awaited, right? We've always wanted this to happen. So remember that you have tremendous power and with that power comes the extraordinary responsibility that you think and behave ethically, that you do, that you take your steps and you make your decisions intentionally. And um, uh, because you are now, as one of our questioners put it, the rulers of nerddom, you need to really invest in continuing to stay nerdalicious, right? So stay nerdalicious. Nerdalicious means you have to pay attention to the responsibility and to the impact that you're having in organizations. We're writing you this from the future. We're three years away from you now. We can see what a difference that you've made. And so we're exhorting you to, to, to keep your hearts open and to recognize that you need to keep your humanity close to you as you go forward. Mark, uh, Eric, Frank, this has been tremendous. Thank you all for joining and for uh, for doing our, our inaugural live podcast recording of Gartner Tech Wave. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. 
Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.